At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Good morning. Thanks for declaring truth today. I don't know about you, but in a world that I'm living in, we need that reminder of truth as often as we can get it. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, team, Sarah, Eric, tech team. Thank you so much for serving today. Well, there are benefits to membership. I don't know how many of you are members. Um, because I'm a member, I was um, able to get back into my car after I locked my keys safely inside uh, in Pennsylvania. And so I reached into my wallet and got my AAA card. And because I'm a member, I was able to, after 45 minutes or so, get back into my car because a friendly tow truck guy came and showed up. Because I'm a member, I got about... 10% off one of my latest hotel stays because of membership. I also was able to uh, break down safely on I-75 heading through Detroit, get just south of town to where that, you know, the petroleum stuff is going on and right where you're going over a hill and a tire blew just as we crested the hill, went around the curve, had to tuck safely against the median so close I couldn't open my door. There's no way I'm going to get out and change my tire without terrible things happening. But it was okay, because I'm a member, and members have benefits. Are you a member? Teamsters, maybe. That's, maybe that's where you get your benefits. Uh, teachers Union, maybe you've got some benefits coming to you there. Uh, maybe it's honor roll. Right? No? <laughs> come on, some of you, some of you were. Right, maybe there's some benefits that come to the team there. But all of those groups that you could potentially join, it's like a small little fraction of your life. You know, even my AAA membership, what I just told you about, was probably the span of eight years. So I, I got to admit that every day, I don't wake up and I think, boy, am I glad I belong. Because if something happens to my car today, I'm okay. I rarely think about that. But I want to talk to you this morning about belonging to God. A, a, a true belonging that every day that you live will make a radical impact in your life. How you live, how you react to circumstances, how you deal with trials and, and, and frustrations, how you deal with difficult people like the one sitting next to you or maybe the one that you hope you don't sit by when you go to work on Monday or school on Monday or whatever, that your involvement and membership and belonging into that sense of family will make a radical difference 
difference in your life if you live according to that. We're studying through a heart of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5 through 8 over these course of 12 weeks. And it begins in Romans chapter 5 by helping us understand that uh, we truly have been justified by God. Because of our faith we've placed in him, he declares us as right with him. So that allows us to be close to him, which changes everything. And, and we were loved not because of how lovely we were. We were loved that while we were sinners. In other words, when we were very unlovely, he loved us. And he came after us. And as you sang today, he, he rescued us and he set us free from bondage and he has made us free. And we, were, we are together with him. And we can come boldly into his throne of grace knowing that we'll find grace to help in time of need. That's us. That's us. We belong to him. So everything's new, but is it really, I mean, in your life? That's the question that our series is asking us. Are you really living like everything is new? Because it is. But God's given us that free will as image bearers to choose to live according to our identity or to choose to live to a false identity or, a, as we look at today, a former identity. So we've made it through chapters 5 and chapter 6 in our series. If you haven't been with us, I encourage you to go back and read over those chapters because chapter 7 is built on those chapters. In fact, it begins kind of where you think, ooh, is this really the start of a chapter? Because it feels like the sentence, like we're starting in the middle of the sentence. And that's true because it is based on a very huge theological point that Bill shared with us last week. That because we are united in his death and his resurrection, we can bear fruit in our lives. His attributes can be made known. It can be reflected by how we live. And chapter 7 dives more deeply into that. It helps us understand that belonging to Jesus, belonging to God, enables us or leads us to bear fruit in Christ. We talk about fruit, we're talking about evidence. Because you belong to God, you can have evidence that you do. Where people will say, because of their interaction with you, there's God in them. Because of how unique you live and how differently you handle things, they can, con they can conclude that God must be in you because the fruit is showing. So that's what we're going to look at today. First of all, as we look at chapter 7, we see that belonging to Christ releases us from the law. Read with me Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Let's pause. I'm speaking to those who know the law. In this section, Paul is speaking to the Jewish Christians. Now, in the Roman church that he's writing to, there would, have been Rome, there would have been Gentile Christians, there would have been Jewish Christians, people from all walks of life, because Rome was kind of obviously the center of that empire. So people from all cultures would flock there. And so people were believing in Jesus with all, from all different walks of life. But the, the, the initial audience seemed to be the Jewish believers. 
So he says, let me talk to you. I'm speaking to you who grew up under the law. He says, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Then he gives this illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So those of you, Paul says, those of you that were raised under the law, those of you that found your identity in the law by abiding by it, those of you who were guided by its instructions and regulations, and you were taught that the law of Moses would grant you eternal life. That you would experience the joy of the kingdom if you keep the regulation of the law. In fact, the law has helped you understand who is right with God and who is not right with God. You just watch how they, or they don't, live according to to the law. The law has become your identity, your mission, mission, your measurement of who is what, who is worthy and who is not, who is right and who is not, who is important and who is not. The law helped you understand that. And only by militant observation to all these 600 regulations, these laws that were given to Moses, only by abiding by those do you have hope and experience the kingdom of God. I want to write to you people. That's what Paul's saying. You see, Paul had met Jesus. Paul was one of those that lived according to the law. That's, that's, that was his identity. In fact, he was one of the best at living according to the law. He knew it like almost nobody else did. In fact, he taught all the other people about the law. So he was the brightest and the best according to the law. And then he met Jesus. And he found that Jesus set him free from a bondage that that law had produced. And as he learned about Jesus, he learned about his teaching, and he learned, as we learn, as we read the Gospels, the, the accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learned that early in Jesus' ministry, he's talking to the Jewish leaders, to the law keepers, and he said to them, you think that by searching the scriptures, you'll have eternal life. And it is they the scriptures, that bear witness of me. And yet you refuse to come to me and experience that life. Jesus said, for some of you, you got caught in this idea that the law, though it had a purpose, that, from, that the law could actually give you life, but, but the law can't give you life. Only a person can give you life. And the law, though, can, can teach you about me. And so I'm here, but now you refuse me, and so you can't have life. Paul's writing to the Jewish Christian and saying, now some of you are still clinging to the law, thinking that the law will give you life, but the reality is it won't because the law can't give life. It's a person that gives life, and that person is Jesus. Jesus. 
law has a purpose, but it has its limits. Paul would write to the Galatians and he'd say to them um, that the law has been a tutor or a schoolmaster or a, or a guardian that provides direction and discipline and revelation, but it doesn't give life. The law can reveal our sin, but it won't take it away. The law can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are guilty, but it won't make us innocent. The law makes us guilty. It can't change your situation. It can't remove a sin. The law then, if our focus and trust is in the law, it will be bondage to us. So I know, I mean, I would assume that most of us here are not Jewish believers. You weren't raised under the Jewish law. So we could maybe think, well, yeah, what were they thinking? But how many times do we live under laws that are just not under the person of Jesus? How many of us here are still trying to live under some religious standard in order to, to get approval? In order to get, to get um, some sense that you are good? Right, You want to be good, so if you can keep the standard that maybe your church or your parents or your boss or your spouse or someone has set for you, and if you can do good enough by keeping their laws, then you'll be made right. You'll find life there. Well, I'm telling you, the, the law, no matter what it is, cannot give life. Some try to find life from the law of maybe some addiction through marijuana or through alcohol or some drugs or you think you think I got to find some escape from this darkness I'm feeling or this weight I'm feeling and I'll feel so much better if I go to these things you're living according to the law of this substance and you re the reality is you never will find life there it can't give it it's not a person it's not a creator it's not the author of life. There's only one who can give life, and that's Jesus. Some live according to the law of materialism. And that's so alluring to those of us in American capitalistic culture that you actually can go to stores and there's things on the shelves and you have, a, you have money in your pocket and you actually have a card that says there might be money out there somewhere that you might eventually get sometime. So you have the power to get. So you, buy, you live according to this law that says, well, if it's good, it's alluring that I'm going to get it because if I get it, I'll feel better. I'll have life. But we end up in bondage. We have indebtedness, and we have bills, and we have now things that more stuff to take care of. And now, instead of being less burdened by things, now we're more burdened by things because we've been living according to that law. The more stuff you want and more stuff you get, the more stuff that owns you, the more stuff you have to care for. Some live according to the law of popularity, and it guides how you dress, what you do, what you have, the activities that you become involved in, the words you use. It's all based on what opinion others will have on you, and it's oppressive, and it's bondage. It will never give life, though it will promise that it will. 
Paul says, I'm writing to those of you that are under the law. That are still thinking the law is going to give you life. But if you stop and be honest with yourself and you look according to what are the laws that you're living by. If it's anything other than Jesus, you know that it's bondage. And it's not giving you life. So he says, I'm writing to you, those of you that are under the law. Don't you know that if you die, you know what? You're no longer under the law. In the religious sense, the Jewish law, if you die, that person is not going to be brought before the, the fathers to say, this person has not been to the temple in many Sabbaths. And I'm going to do that because that person is dead. He hasn't paid the temple tax. Well, he can't. He didn't wash his hands before he ate dinner. Mm, it makes no sense because that person is dead. The law is no, of no use for him anymore. He's been released. He uses this illustration of marriage. Can't read too much into this. He isn't establishing any grounds for, you know, divorce and remarriage or anything like that. He's just saying, for instance, just think quickly with me. If there's a woman married to this man, she's committed to him for the rest of their lives. But if that man dies, she's freed from him. There's been a lot of things I've done as a pastor. But one of the things that I never thought I would do is officiate my grandma's wedding. <laughs> but I did. It was the strangest thing. So in, in, in 1993, 94, in 1994, it's 1995, my grandpa passed away. My grandpa passed away in 1995. And uh, a wonderful man, he prayed for me a lot, and I rejoice now that he's in heaven interceding, right, praying for his family. I'm so thankful um, that he's there with Jesus. But that began my Grandma Stewart's journey of singleness, maybe return to singleness. As a widow, she then was not bound to Grandpa anymore. So I would call her on a regular basis, check in on Grandma. Grandma, how you doing? And it was, you know, there was some difficult seasons, but it was, I was shocked when she said, Dan, I think I've got a secret admirer. <laughs> Grandma, you're 80. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because the phone rang yesterday, and I picked it up, and there was no one there. Grandma, yeah, doesn't mean you have a secret admirer. Well, I think so. It's not the first time that happened. Well, okay. Well, a little bit later, how are you, Grandma? Dan, I think there's a man at church that's looking at me. Said, really? I said, yeah. I turn around. You know, I always sit in the front. I turn around, and when I do, I catch him looking at me, and he looks down. Oh, Grandma, I don't know. And then later, Dan, he called me. Who did? That guy from church. Really? 
Yeah, he just said he's calling to check on me. Well, it continued to progress. Dan, he invited, he, he asked if he could sit with me at lunch when we go out for dinner with our circle of friends after church. He, he asked if he could sit with me. Then he asked if, he, if I needed a ride to whatever church fellowship we were going to. Now he calls me every day to check on me. Dan, he asked me to marry him. What? And before I knew it, I was at Denny's, sitting across the table from two love-struck 80-year-olds who wanted to meet with me for, for premarital counseling. <laughs> I'm 28 years old. Yeah, well, let me tell you. <laughs> wow. Well, that, you know what? I don't care what you think about me, Grandma. It's okay. That's okay. You know, there's some messiness involved in all that and all those kind of things they had to work out, but they did. But the reality is, Grandma was free to go to dinner with Cecil to accept the engagement ring for him and to enjoy the benefits of companionship and encouragement and support and presence that filled such a wonderful void they both were experiencing. And they had just several years of great joy together. They were freed to do that. Why? Because her former husband had died. She was freed from that law and now could experience anew. Paul says that's kind of how it, it is. For the follower of Jesus, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, that because of your faith, you've been made right with God, freed from the old law, and able to then, number two, belong to him. That old covenant has been, has been severed, whether it's religious laws or hopelessness or addiction or popularity or materialism, you are freed from the former law because you're united into his death. You've died to that. So when you struggle with that tension of that drive to desire to be popular, realize I'm dead to that because I'm united with Jesus. That drive of materialism that says, yeah, you just need a little more or a little bit bigger or, or one... Or, there's space in your garage. There's, there's room on your counter. You're, there's, this is going to be great. You can say, I'm not enslaved to that anymore. I don't have to because we're dead to those laws. But secondly, belonging to Christ weds us to Jesus. Here's what 7 verse 4, how it ends. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. You've died, you've been set free from the law, whatever law you're living according to, but you've died to that, so now you can belong to another. To who? To him who has been raised from the dead. We're wed to the new creation experience in Jesus, so your life changes. It's not a new chapter, that's not what the Christian life is. It's not a new chapter in your life, it's a new book, it's a new volume. It says this, I was enslaved to that. But now I'm wedded to my new husband. I'm united in his life. 
I'm his. In the wedding ceremony, there's this very important transition that takes place, right? In the traditional um, wedding ceremony, the, the officiant says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father, whoever part of the family says, I do, we do, whatever, and, and then steps away. Why? Because based on Genesis chapter 2, for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they'll become one. That's leaving former loyalty and now joining together with a new primary loyalty. He says that's what's happened when you were justified, set free from the old law that enslaved you, and now you're wed together with him. So no longer does those former laws define you. No, not anymore. Singleness is gone. Now husband and wife are granted all the joys and privileges of being married to another. In Christ, we have a forever family. Our groom, Jesus, has formed a marriage covenant that is not based on our life, it's based on his. It's not based on our faithfulness to him, it's based on his faithfulness to us. Isn't that incredible? So because of that, we have access to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. That what's his is ours because we're united in his life. And then third, we learned that we belong into Christ empowers a new way to live or a new way to serve. Listen to verse four. So that because we now have been, now we belong to another, so that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from that law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. He says we, we now have this newness about us. We can bear fruit for God. Because we belong to him and, and our life is now defined by his, we can serve him. We can bear fruit that we otherwise never could. He said before we lived according to the, we were living in the flesh. That's how, that's how our first book is described. Before we met Jesus, our life is described as living according to the passions of the flesh. Whatever we felt we should do, that's what we did. And sometimes we would say that we thought we should do some good things. And many of you, many of us, did good things before we met Jesus. That reflects probably that image of God reflected in you, right? Every human being, whether they believe in Jesus or believe in God or not, is created in his image, has that capacity to reflect even his good characteristics. That's good. But the problem is, none of that can make up for the bad that we've done. So even Isaiah described it like this, that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags when it comes to our ability to be right with God. It just doesn't work. In fact, our attempts to be good is more evidence that we're not. Because we're living according to what we want to do, not according to who he is. And then some of those things that we did, living in the flesh, involves those passions of sin. 
those things like selfishness and bitterness and gossip and those cravings and dirty talk and such things. All those things, all those things describe our life outside of Jesus. That's the fruit that we would bear before we're wed to Jesus. And Paul's pointing out that the law, even the law of Moses, did nothing to solve that. We all fail, living according to the false law. But now, we live according to who we belong to. Belonging to Jesus, living according to his spirit, empowers his life in us. Now, in the Old Testament, when you look back in the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit at work. You see him at creation, hovering over the face of the waters. You see him coming to rest on certain people in the, in the Old Testament. It describes how the Spirit came upon Moses and he was able to judge the million plus Hebrew people as they wandered through the wilderness and just amazing insight that he was given. Uh, the Bible describes David as receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as he slayed Goliath and did such wonderful things. Joshua, Gideon is described as having the Holy Spirit upon him. Daniel, when he, he was able to have dreams and interpret dreams, it was because the Holy Spirit came upon him. And yet the ministry of the Spirit was a, a come and a go, a come and a go. But when Jesus was on earth, he said, everybody that believes in me, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He will come to dwell in you, and he will never leave. I'm going to go, and go back to my father and prepare a place for you. But because I'm going, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to reside in you. My spirit will be with you. So when we're wed to Jesus, his spirit comes to be with us. And like a spouse who is always faithful, a spouse who is always with us, he is there to care and provide and empower us for all that God has for us so that we can faithfully bear fruit. We can faithfully show the evidence of the Spirit. Whether that fruit is the, the, the evidence, as Paul writes in Galatians, of love and joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, all, those, all that fruit of the Spirit, that, that's yours because the Spirit lives inside of you. So if you live according to that new law, that will be the evidence. And Jesus said that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witnesses to all the world. Everywhere you go, everywhere my church goes, they will be my witnesses because the Holy Spirit will be power for them. A power that you didn't have other, otherwise. An ability to serve God where you didn't have otherwise because the Holy Spirit is now with you. I can't wait to keep going into this series, especially as we get into chapter 8. Of, of Romans. You're going to see over and over and over the Holy Spirit working in your life. And I, I just pray that God would open our heart to the power of this. Because if, if he does, if we receive truly all that God has for us from the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that the church cannot do. 
the fruit that the church can bear if we just embrace the presence of the Holy Spirit will be unstoppable. Ways I've seen it, um, we're, obviously we're in this renovation time and I was reflecting on a previous, the first renovation time that we had as Woodside Algonac. Um, some of you didn't even know about it, but we were um, the first facility that we, we had was an office down Michigan Street here, right above Dr. Kizzy's medical practice, second floor. And it was old, it, was va- it had been vacant for 12 years, um, but it was available. And so a couple of us saw it and thought, this would be a nice place for office, maybe a ministry center. Not a big enough to meet for worship, but at least a place to do student ministry and leadership meetings and such things. So let's do it. Well, it needed a lot of work. Woodside has, has a maintenance team, so I begged and pleaded and said, hey, can they come way out here to Algonac? We just got this small little thing just to do, carpet, a couple walls to come down. And sure enough, Jeff and Eric came out, friends of mine. They came out to do some work. I, I love Jeff. I love Eric both. But Jeff's story is just so cool. He, um, for many years, he managed a bowling alley um, and just lived a really hard life. And then he met Jesus. And it changed, it rocked his world. It changed everything. And he began to look for where I can serve Jesus fully. He just felt there was an oppressive spirit uh, where he was working and the team he was working under and such things. And God freed him from that and he joined the maintenance team at Woodside. And he just came to that and was able to now able to go to different campuses and help different small projects so that ministry can be better. So I, I just love what he does and the spirit he, he does that in. Anyway, so they got there, and they were hauling stuff from trailers up, upstairs uh, to start the renovation work, and suddenly it disappeared. And he, he just stopped bringing stuff upstairs. I said to Eric, where's Jeff? I don't know. He went downstairs to grab more stuff. So we looked out the window, and there's Jeff on the sidewalk. He's not carrying anything. Instead, his arm was around a young man of 20-some years old, and they're both in prayer. About 20 minutes. There he was talking to him and praying with him. Jeff came up later. He said, yeah, I just struck a conversation with him. And God was working in this young man's life. And I shared Jesus with him. I was able to pray over him and to, to, to tell him that Jesus can provide life and hope. I said, Jeff, you're a maintenance guy. Don't you know we got work to do? <laughs> no, I didn't. I said, that, that's the Spirit of God resting in the life of one who belongs to him. Joe texted me earlier this week and said, man, I just had a Jesus moment. He sold something on Marketplace. The guy came to pick it up, and as soon as he got out of the car, just the Holy Spirit seemed to say to Joe, this is a ministry moment for you. So he stepped into that immediately bridge the conversation of spiritual things to where it was so clear to Joe, yes, I've stepped into what God was doing. Sarah needed a ride. Sarah isn't going to be able to drive for a while. 
tough on a young mom. How's she gonna? She gonna be cared for? So as we're talking, I just asked the Spirit. Spirit, what are you doing? What can you do? He just prompted my heart towards just somebody here in the church. Marianne just retired. Has time. Marianne, would you ever be interested in something like this? Oh, I would love to do that. If God would bless me to that opportunity, I'd love to do that. So that's how she's going to use her time, is to serve another sister in the Lord in an area of, of need. John and Claudia led them to retire from engineering and buy this old farmstead that didn't even have a farm out here in Clay Township, and they thought, well, this will be fun. This will be a fun project, and so stuff starts happening, and then they get this idea. Wouldn't it be fun to have our church family come and just have a time of enjoyment together, and the barn party was born, and the church had a wonderful time. with These are all just little ways where the Spirit of God says to ordinary, common people, just, just bear fruit for me. Do the small things. Every day you wake up, just wake up with that thought. The Spirit of God is on me, and I can serve him in a new way today. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know how big it's going to be, but I believe the Spirit of God can use me today. I want you to remember, there are no super spiritual people. Don't think for a minute, just because we have a platform in our worship gathering, there's something special about this. No, what's special about the church is his dwelling in all of us. Every single one of us is anointed by him. You've been cut free, severed from the old law that would just hold you back. Don't let it creep in. You've died to that. Instead, you've been wed with Jesus. And he says, because you now belong to me, you can serve in a brand new way. Every day is going to be an adventure. Sometimes it's mundane, and sometimes it can get a little monotonous, but know that I work in the mundane. The Spirit of God works in the daily. And every once in a while, he leads us to a mountaintop, but never designed us to stay there, but to equip us for the valleys and the paths and the journeys of life, knowing that that's where Jesus loves to work. Do you belong to Christ? I guess it starts there. You ever had a time in your life when you've just been convinced that the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, that Jesus is truth, He is life, He is the way to the Father? You confessed your faith to God? You placed your faith in Him? If not, do that today. It all begins with a relationship with Him. Confess your sin to Him, receive His salvation. And then, every day, live as if you belong to God because you do. You are his. Father, thank you for giving us such future. Thank you, Lord, that our past does not define us. What people have said about us does not define us. But it's, it's a risen Savior that has paid the price and has cut the chain that was holding us down. You've given us new life. Lord, thank you that we can live according to that. I pray, Father, that we would every day 
we'd rise up out of our, of our time of rest and we enter into a new day ready to serve you, believing that that's what you love to do. You love to empower your people to serve you in a new way. Thank you, Lord, that we do belong to you. Thank you for the work that only Jesus can do. Thank you that there's nothing else we could trust in that will never fail us. God, we give you praise for it all. All that you will do, all that you have done. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.